Welcome! Shouting it from the heavens. Yes, it's your favorite time of the week. It is Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, episode 235. 235 freaking episodes, Barry Rose. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's uh, Shaw. It's, yeah, it's Shaw. Yeah, sure is. Yeah, man. It's time yeah. for a raise, Jeff. That's right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, to our voluminous uh, income that we uh, now uh, currently are making. So, Barry, match of the week this week. Oh, we are going Texas Deathmatch rules. February 6, 1987. We are going to Houston, Texas, to the same Houston Coliseum. Terry, bam, bam, Gordy versus Dr. Death Steve Williams. It is a good old-fashioned throwdown. The kind of Texas Deathmatch, by God, that we appreciate and we like here because it involves both guys getting a little bit of color. So besides that, Barry, we're going to be doing a little Florida Man or Not, an extended extended Florida Man or Not segment. I know oh. that you all, each and every one of you, enjoy that. Before we get to our match with Luke Barry, I came up with a little question on the fly. The other day, I was driving around, and I thought of this, Barry. I'm going to give you, let's see, one, two, three, four choices, okay? All right. Food-related choices. Your life depends on you. Depend. You have to choose one of these four. There's no other pizza available to you, Barry. Not even yes. frozen pizza. Damn you it. You have to choose. Barry, are you going Little Caesars, Pizza Hut, Domino's, or Papa John's? Which one are you choosing, and what's the first one you're saying? Fuck that. I'm not taking that. So this, I'll just, I'll say this too, as we, uh, it, a little sidetrack, but it'll relate. So with my position at work. Which position uh, are you currently in, Barry? It's the missionary. Sorry, sorry. It's the missionary. They, they, they've reached out to certain people within certain markets to go through lists of the best in the area. So like they've reached out to somebody in New York and they're looking for the best brunch spots, et cetera. They reached out to me and are looking for the best pizza spots in Philly. So I'm assuming somebody at my work has listened to this podcast in order to. And if you are, hey, welcome. Glad to have you. Yeah. And please make sure you're subscribing to our Patreon for unedited content. But with that, so. uh, Little Caesars, Pizza Hut, Domino's or Papa John's. Which one you keep in? Which one you kick into the curb? I'm kicking to the curb immediately, Papa John's. Worst pizza I had ever had. I think I relayed this story. Zoe got little, uh, she got Papa John's three weeks ago, a few weeks back. And Zoe, who likes Domino's, said, Papa John's is garbage, Dad. So I was really, really proud to hear that. Sad that she ordered from there, but happy to hear she hated it. I would actually keep Little Caesars, and I'll tell you why. I've had all of those pizzas. I don't like any of them, but Little Caesars, do you remember, Jeff, do you remember years ago, Farmore? Yes, I do remember. It was uh, part of the Sawgrass Mall. <laughs> yeah, so Farmore, we had them all throughout South Florida. I don't know. I think they were just in the South, maybe even Get Florida. Get Farmore for far less. I think that was their uh, tag. That's, that's it. Excellent, by the way. That's that's exactly what it was. And Farmore was kind of like a Walmart a target. That's what they, and for whatever reason, it never worked out, but a lot of the locations actually had a little Caesars. And when we inside, and when we were doing 30 years ago, Jeff, we were doing chair shots. I would go to a printer in the mall in Hallandale, right near where I was living. And I would get the copies made. And then I would go and I would stop at far more little Caesars and I'd grab a pizza and it was like five bucks you're getting a, you know, like a, a small pizza, whatever. It wasn't great. It wasn't. But at the same time, I've had Domino's and I hate it. 
I've had Pizza Hut. I think Pizza Hut's terrible. I wouldn't eat Papa John's if it was free. But Little Caesars 30 years ago, I actually kind of liked it in a guilty pleasure kind of way. So I will tell you that uh, I had a uh, Mrs. Bowser and I decided to get pizza one night. And I said, oh, and I was it was like one of these I was driving home. And there's a Little Caesars nearby where we live on the on the way home. And I said, good Lord, I don't think I've had Little Caesars probably in close to 30 years. I'll pick it up. And we picked it up and I got home and uh, we had the Little Caesars. And I literally had one slice and threw the rest away. And I went, yeah. Uh, I don't know why I got this. Now, as you were saying, 30 years ago, Little Caesars, five bucks a pie, you know, uh, nothing wrong with that. But I don't know what happened, but that pizza has definitely hit the shitter and gone downhill. I, however, am going to disagree with Barry Rose. Oh. I know people like it when we argue, Barry. I'm going to choose Pizza Hut because I know the Pizza Hut thin and crispy slices I can live with those. Uh, breadsticks are pretty good, too. Uh, right. Domino's, Papa John's, no thank you. And much like you, I would say, uh, even if it was free, I don't think I'd take it. So now, Barry, continuing in our line of food-related questions, Barry Rose, same question, but it's breakfast or maybe brunch. Do you like a good brunch, Barry? I do like a good brunch. Okay. Uh, you're not going to go to an individually-owned restaurant like you should and like all our listeners should. No, your choices. You have to choose one of these four, Barry. IHOP, Denny's, Golden Corral. Or if you're fortunate enough and you live where they have them, I don't know, do they have any Waffle Houses up by you, Barry, or is that strictly a Southern thing? I, I think they're more uh, in the middle of the state. I don't know of any locally. There's got to be, but I, I have never seen them. I'm guessing at some point we're going to get a, uh, a comment from John Lee uh, out there in uh, the UK. Hey, hey, what is this Waffle House that you chaps are speaking of? Anyway, go ahead, Barry. Exactly. Uh, so if I was going to choose one, you know, it, a lot of people are I, – I think if, so if you're asking uh, a lot of people this question, they're going to say Waffle House. Waffle House is this – there's this romantic vision of I'm drunk, it's 3 a.m., let's go to Waffle House. The waffles are good. The food's horrible otherwise. The guy making the food is usually a felon, uh, <laughs> it, which not is convicted, true. Not convicted, not convicted trial. Yeah, but, but willing to learn. But yeah, yeah but uh, – but for me, it's IHOP. I uh, I can go to an IHOP. I've had good, bad experiences of both. But I, I like IHOP. There's something about it. I'm sure this is also childhood memories. And I don't go that. And I haven't. It's been years. But I think IHOP. I, and Denny's is okay. Denny's isn't bad. You didn't pick up one, which is Perkins. I do like Perkins. It's like Denny's for the most part. But I've always uh, had a good breakfast or brunch at Perkins. But with that, your first line of what you were saying when you were speaking, for me, if I'm going to do a brunch somewhere, it's probably not going to be at one of these mediocre chains. I'm going to look for somewhere like a mom and pop restaurant. As you correctly should. I will say the one I'm going to definitely pass on is Golden Corral. <laughs> uh, Denny's also has, you know, Denny's used to be a decent place to get, you know, the Grand Slam breakfast. Uh, 30 years ago, much like Little Caesars, Denny's wasn't terrible, but now, I think the last time I went to a Denny's, good Lord, might have been 10 or 15 years ago, and it was not good. Waffle House, as you said, is a good, cheap uh, place. To, if I'm getting anything other than waffles, uh, I'm not going to go there. But if you want a good waffle, uh, you know, it covers the entirety of your plate, uh, that's good. But IHOP, Barry, 
like you said, their breakfast is, they're not bad. You know, uh, you get a, uh, the pigs in a blanket is my personal favorite when I go Ooh. to IHOP, you know, I love a good pigs in a blanket. So you got that going for you. Barry, always a good time when we are joined by the captain. No, not Lou Albano. He's no longer with us. Rest in peace, Lou. Uh, the other captain, Nick Massey. Nick, welcome to Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdry Barry. I could say other than my birthday and Christmas, this is easily my third favorite day, sometimes fourth favorite day of the year where I get to talk to the boys at Breaking Kayfabe. Well, you know, you, you humble us. Uh, you know, with your comment, uh, Barry, uh, I want to say, I almost said Lou, but in <laughs> fact, Nick has a, a very special event coming up. Why don't you clue the listeners into that? Sure. And, uh, and then really I'm going to clue them in, but then I'm going to toss it over to Nick. So we, we, we talk about this all the time. We were just talking off air. There are a lot of Jeff, this may be breaking news to you. What? What? Would you believe that there's a lot of unscrupulous people in professional wrestling? This and, news shocks and stuns me. Yes, people that are grifters trying to pull the con, the carnies, etc. There are a few people that when they give you their handshake and they give you their word, you can take it to the bank. And, and I'm fortunate and you're fortunate uh, and our listeners are fortunate because one of those guys, and again, this is maybe a handful of guys at best, the captain, Nick Massey, who has really made a career over the last couple of years since COVID as far as doing virtual events. And he really was really the first guy. Everybody's doing virtual events now. It became the biggest deal. Nick was the first guy that I'm aware of that started doing it for professional wrestling. And what I also like, uh, and I've worked with Nick a bunch of times, Nick is doing his own show. It's his second show taking place coming up April the 23rd in Connecticut. It's the classic number two. I'm going to toss it to Nick because I think he needs to fill us in. Nick, welcome. Tell us all about this upcoming show. Well, thank that's a, that's a hell of a introduction, Barry. So I want to thank you for that. But uh, yeah, the wrestling classic number two, it's going to be April 23rd at the Double Tree Hartford. We had a great time in the fall. Uh, we had an October show with Sergeant Slaughter on it bunch of other great names. We're coming back with what I think is an even stronger lineup. So it's headlined by Jake Snake Roberts, uh, your WWE Hall of Famer, uh, legend known all over the world. We've also got Double J Jeff Jarrett, Tully Blanchard, another couple of Hall of Famers, Ron Simmons and Rikishi. And then we've got we've got some, some other guests that you know don't make as many appearances. My favorite of the bunch is uh, Dr. D. David Schultz. Wow. And uh, David David doesn't make a lot of appearances these days. I was fortunate. This will be the, the fourth time I'm working with him. And David is as honest as they come. And when, when he comes out, he likes to have fun with the fans. He likes to bust some chops. Uh, he's got a great book that will be for sale. But that, yeah, that and there will be another probably 15, 15 names or so besides the six or seven that I mentioned. They'll be at the Doubletree Hartford on April 23rd for the Wrestling Classics, too. Yeah, with David Schultz, too, and I like what you just said, too, because he is he's friendly. He's engaging. He still gives you this air of don't fuck with me like he, you could tell he's a legit. This is not an act. That, that's hard to badass. believe. That's hard no, but he's believe. but here's the thing in, in wrestling. Right. We never know. Is this posturing or not? David Schultz is a legitimate badass. I mean, there's no, and I was telling Jeff this story off air this past week, but when we saw uh, down at the gathering, over this past sure. summer, I guess was last summer. And David Schultz was doing a Q and a segment 
And uh, I believe the news had just come in about Brian Blair's son dying. So a lot of people that were in this other room, which was the main room, everyone was kind of stunned. But Schultz still had to do a Q&A. So he shows up for this Q&A. There's no moderator. There's nobody in charge, nothing. And he comes in and he picks up the microphone and he's like, if somebody doesn't fucking come in here and tell me what I'm going to be doing, I'll just fucking walk out just like that. And I was like, this guy's <laughs> it. Like, this is great. Yeah. So he really oh. is engaging. So let me ask you a question, Nick. Now, I, I put on seven shows previously at the CWF Legends Fan Fest. If you take into account COVID, we were going to do five shows at the old Fort Hesterly Armory. This is a lot of work. I'm imagining because your shows are bigger this has just got to be a ton of work for you, though, to get all this stuff organized. Uh, yeah, no, it is. And, uh, I, and like, you, like you said, Barry, you're someone that's been in the fire before, and you don't even know the kind of flames you're putting out until you're, you're knee-deep in them. Uh, just just any time, uh, I'll average, without throwing a convention, probably anywhere from 10 to 15 guests a month. And that's over the course of you know three or four weekends. Sometimes I'll take a weekend off once in a while. But to have that many different guests in one weekend that many different venues to be dealing with the vendors to be dealing with uh, the sponsors to be dealing with uh, the venue uh and then the talent obviously on top of it i know that right now three weeks out i feel very comfortable with everything that i, I feel like i've gotten all my bases covered but as we both know one two three days out there's going to be things popping up so flexibility and just being able to roll with the punches is so important because i know that you know god forbid you know, someone could miss their flight. Someone could, uh, you know, wind up not being able to, you know, do this or that. And things change all the time. So it's kind of just keeping on, keeping on my feet and, you know, just being aware of, uh, you know, everything that's happening and just trying to be able to roll, roll with the punches as best I could. So, Nick, let me ask you, you uh, kind of mentioned the headliners there. Why don't you tell us uh, some of the other talent you have coming in? And also, uh, is there some sort of price point for people that might be interested in going uh, that sort of thing? Sure. So uh, I mentioned the Hall of Fame names. Jake, Tully, Double J, Ron Simmons, Rikishi, of course, David Schultz. We've also got some some more contemporary names for our modern fans. we got AEW uh, TV star Jay Lethal. He'll be with us. The NWA uh, Women's World Tag Team Champs, Allison Kay and Marty Bell will be with us. Uh, we've also got Velvet Sky. Uh, in terms of rare signings, there's also going to be Rita Marie, who, uh, you know, contrary to rewritten history, was actually the first female referee in WWF history. She'll be making what I believe is her first ever uh, convention appearance. And, and as I'm sure you guys know of, you know, being, you know, uh, hardcore fans like, like I am, that, you know, Rita's probably got some stories to tell. So, uh, <laughs> but admission, admission's only $20. That gets you in. And we're doing a $30 general admission plus. And what that is, is you get an autograph from a specified soon-to-be-announced guest. So it's like you're getting into the show and you're getting an autograph on top of it for $10. Uh, price point is different for uh, all of the different talent. Uh, anywhere from 20 to typically $30 for the autograph, 40 to $50 for a combo. Gotcha. And with, and with Rita Marie, I, was it Rita Marie Chatterton? And she yes. Yes, was sir. she on Donahue? Was that right? Uh, I think she was. She was actually, it'll be interesting. I know that uh, her and Schultz, they, they did the rounds on some of the talk shows in the early 90s. So, yeah, with Barry Orton, too. So I think she might have been on uh, one of those talk shows. I know uh, there were some allegations of what she had uh, towards uh, a certain uh, head of a uh, uh, billion-dollar wrestling corporation. 
I'm that's not going right. to name, but yeah. That's yeah, right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And she, she does not do a lot of appearances. And then even with this one, uh, you know, Seth Turner, who's running the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, one of our good partners for the show, is going to be uh, moving into the Time Union Center uh, in Albany this summer. And uh, he was able to, you know, talk to her and convince her this would be a good, good show to come out to. So we're really looking forward to reading. And like I said, uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine's going to be there, Mr. Hughes. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, we talk about, I say it all the time, you know, Baskin Robbins is popular for a reason because they, they've got the 31 different flavors. So if you can get all these different flavors, you get your, your fans that are old school, like myself. You can get your fans that are a little more modern. They're looking for the people that are still on TV. And then you could just get, you know, some, some rare guests. And I kind of I like to, to build my shows like that, to where you have, you have something for everyone. Jeff, well, Jeff I, I want you to watch this. This this is a segue, and I want you to check this out. Okay, so you, I'm ready. You, <laughs> you, are you sitting down? I, so, Nick, you just mentioned Rita Marie Chatterton. I would say one of the – apparently what I've read, the most popular referee currently is Aubrey Edwards, female referee yeah. who works for AEW. AEW is someone that you've been working with recently. And how impressive is that? And, and Jeff, you catch that segue. It's a very, very convoluted very segue. Nice, but very nice. Was it all right? But uh, uh, I don't know if it's as good as mine. But yeah, Oh, no, no. Bad. It was super like it was like 50 things removed by the time I got to my point. But with that, it, Nick is, as far as I'm aware, one of the only vendors that actually is, I'll say, AEW approved, and he's actually been working with AEW talent. And think of how big that is, because it's not like the WWE is going to let vendors work with their contracted talent. That is a really, if it ever happens, I'm not aware of it, but I would imagine that's super rare. But Nick has worked with uh, one of my personal favorites from the acclaim, Max Caster, recently. You're working with Billy Gunn's kids. Who else have you had from AEW, Nick? So, yeah, I've, I've worked with uh, Lance Archer. Lance Archer, uh, a couple of months ago, Red Velvet as well. Uh, I've got, uh, actually, uh, time-sensitive-wise, it's going to become very soon working with uh, a bunch of, bunch of other talents, such as The Gun Club, uh, Austin and Colton Gunn, Angel Ortiz, formerly of the Inner Circle, now uh, still one half the Proud and Powerful, who I actually uh, I, I grew up with. Uh, I've known him since he was a teenager. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're and I'm re- I'm really looking forward to that. I've had I've been telling everyone I've had over 200 guests on my show in the last you know two years now, and this is someone that I've known longer than anyone. So uh, he'll be with me coming up for a virtual signing. So uh, we're probably gonna you know uh, have a good time reminiscing. I, I haven't had a long conversation with him, probably about a year and a half now. So we're gonna have some fun. But uh, I've also got uh, I've had members of the dark order before silver and reynolds and i got alan angels and preston vance coming up like you said max caster i've got some other names on my target the you know target list that i don't want to give away but yeah you'll be seeing me uh, work with a lot of aw contract talent in the, the weeks and months to come well you know barry you know what impresses me what is that? that he has the ability to reach out and uh, have contact with these different aew uh, stars because you know barry with my particular contact in aew uh, whenever i ask a question the answer is always AEWTix.com. But, yes, you know, it is. I, I digress. I think you know. <laughs> it, well, yeah, and to that point, though, we should say, and this is breaking kayfabe, if, if you're like Mike Wilson, who has gone back and then is going through every episode, he'll get to this in a, a, probably a few months. But, you know, Nick, I don't know if you know this, Jeff actually sold tapes to Tony Khan back in the day. 
If you want to mention that I to did. Tony, please remind him. Because I know a certain <laughs> podcast, Nick, that would love to have uh, AEW talent once you acquire uh, the rights. Oh, and uh, you know what? Uh, I'll I'll have to bring that up to the people that talk directly to uh, to Tony. That's that's pretty interesting. I know you also bought from uh, McAdams too, right? Or trade? Yeah, he probably McAdams, bitched so about yeah. you know how the tracking the quality. Ran yeah, and, yeah, that's they're like tenth tenth generation cop. Jeffs were like pristine and mint condition. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> McAdams would never go. double down there on something go. like no, that. he would never do that. Oh. Well, this has been great. Nick, Nick, before you leave us, uh, give us one last, tell us, tell us again, the hotel, the venue, easiest way to get there and the best restaurant. And actually you did tell me this because of course, if there's food involved, that's really what I care about. You told me one of the best restaurants is a less than a mile from the hotel. I tried to eat there and I was not able to because it was like a 60 minute wait just to get your food. But tell us the hotel and then the restaurant I'm talking about, obviously. Well, you know what? First things first, let's start with the restaurant. Cause I forgot. I, I think I told you about bears barbecue, right? Was it bears was barbecue it. or the skyline? Restaurant? Yep. Nope, it was bears, bears barbecue. The best, the best barbecue in the state of Connecticut. I've, and, and I make a habit when I bring talent in, you know, from, from, from the South and uh, you know, they're asking, I'm like, Hey, well, what do you guys want to eat? Obviously, if they say pizza, or they say wings, although they've got fantastic wings, may not go there. But anytime I bring up barbecue as an option, it's like, you got to try this. And it hasn't failed. Missy Hyatt, Mr. Hughes, uh, uh, Barry Darso, they've all said some of the best barbecue they've ever had. Bears Barbecue right by the Doubletree Hartford. And for everyone in the area, if you're within 500 miles, make a weekend out of it because we've got discounted toll rates for only $109 a night. And it's a Hilton property. You get the complimentary cookie. And uh, all you have to do is just mention Captain's Corner, and you'll get the, the discounted rate for 109 plus tax. Tickets are available. The Wrestling Classic CT.com once again for April 23rd's Wrestling Classic 2 featuring Jake Roberts, featuring Tully Blanchard, Ron Simmons, Rikishi, Dr. E. Davis Schultz, Chef Jarrett, and about 15 other guests. So we're going to have a good time. I'm hoping to see Barry there. I know, Barry, you joined us for the first one. But uh, always a pleasure coming on uh, and breaking kayfabe with the boys. Very time once again for our match of the week. We are going February 6th, 1987. Sam Houston Coliseum in Houston, Texas. Barry, we're talking Terry Bam Bam Gordy versus Steve Dr. Death. Not Dr. D, Dr. Death Williams. It is Texas Death Rules. Barry, you've had a chance to watch the match. Tell the folks what you thought. Yeah, and this, boy, did I, I first off, thrilled that uh, this match was chosen as our match of the week. Huge fan of both of these guys. And during this time period as well, this was that transitional period. It had gone from Mid-South. It was now the UWF. And I was such a fan. You know, that to me, this was, this was really one of the highlights of televised wrestling for me. We saw it in South Florida, Jeff, and we would get Power Pro Wrestling. And they, UWF had a couple of different shows, but I would record all of these shows to watch them. And everything about it worked. I believe th this one came from Houston. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And, and what you see out of that, the reason I, I say that, too, is because there's no commentary. And I noticed that a lot of the matches coming out of Houston, there was not commentary. If they were doing it in other cities that they were, they, they would add the commentary. But I like the fact that there was no commentary for this. Yeah, I, uh, I get it. 
Yeah, no, it didn't. Sometimes I think it hurts a match. In this case, didn't hurt it at all. And uh, this is such, <clears throat> pardon me, a great match to see. You got two guys here who thought the world of each other. Great friends. I think respected the hell out of each other Two, what you would say, two of the better working big men in the history of the business. Terry Gordy's punches. I have said this probably a half dozen to a dozen times. His punches are just incredible. And there's a sequence here where he's punching Williams and Williams is standing there and he's dazed by it. But Gordy's kind of measuring him up and just keeps punching and it just looks like a like a sledgehammer is being taken to the skull. And you know it's not, which is really the testament to Gordy. This was also that kind of short period where the Freebirds had sunshine with them. And it, it isn't like she added a lot to the team, but for some reason, I actually hold fond memories of sunshine with the Freebirds. Uh, I actually hold fond memories of sunshine, period, Jeff. So uh, well, there you go. Figure. Yeah, go figure with that one. Uh, if you look at ringside, you will see famed Japanese photographer Jimmy Suzuki taking photos. There's a couple of photographers. I don't recognize the other ones, but Jimmy Suzuki was a guy that traveled the country in the territory days for years. Uh, I believe he shot uh, a couple of WrestleManias as well. He was, but he always, was, guy, he was always at the pay-per-views. Always the pay-per-views. And if I'm correct, I believe he was part of an angle in uh, Smoky Mountain as well, where he got car. Nah, it, it was in Memphis, I believe, with Eddie Gilbert. That was the famous one where uh, they, they opened him up and uh, they took Jimmy to the hospital to get stitches. Yes. And the doctor asked him what happened. He said, I was hit with a foreign object. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. Oh, that's just awesome. Yeah, Jimmy oh. was great. And I was, I think I was confusing because actually it was, uh, was it Wing Kanemura that came over to Smoky Mountain and yes. Sullivan? Yeah, Sullivan bladed him so bad or whatever. It was like they had to exit out of TV, and it was a nightmare. But you're right about Suzuki and Eddie Gilbert. And they were actually great friends. They were guys that had taken photos for wrestling magazines and had known each other for years. Uh, Jimmy Suzuki still active. That's a guy we should probably try to get on the show because I bet there's quite a few stories. And from everything I remember, a real character as well, Jimmy oh, Suzuki. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, referee of this match, we just talked about his son, but the referee is Tommy Gilbert. Tommy, a guy that uh, was still working Memphis occasionally, but Watts gave him a full-time job as a referee. And uh, Tommy, Tommy, actually an excellent referee. This is, if I'm correct, this is a Texas death match, right? Yes. Multiple and Tommy, balls. six years removed from his main event years in Florida, Barry. <laughs> yeah, Tommy, uh, but yeah. The and, bone uh, of contention between your two hosts. Yeah, it is. It's a uh, it's a big deal right there. But uh, Williams uh, wins the first fall. And after the first fall, if you look ringside again, this is part of the beauty of what and I consider UWF a territory. I don't consider it, you know, even though there was a world champion, I, it was more of a territory to me. But after the first fall, there's a guy at ringside. That's a that's, tall, thin guy. Oh, and he's doing the air punching. Oh, yeah. Going, the sec insecurity has to lead him away from the ring. <laughs> This is so if if you if this match, if you don't want to watch it, that's on you. You need to find after the first fall to see the 10 seconds this guy is on screen. He's probably six, three to six, five. Right. Yeah. Real tall guy. He's built, but he's doing what appears to be some sort of boxing maneuvers coupled with a 
break dance kind of deal. Like, I, I don't know what the fuck it was, but it's highly entertaining. It's worth it. I think if any of our listeners can take this guy and mash this up with that video of Zaha dancing that was so popular two years ago, I, you could put this on an endless loop and I'll watch it all day. This guy is fucking gold. <laughs> this match continues. It's a good match. It's a Texas death match. Let's talk about the finish. Do you want to take the finish? Or you want no, me to go take ahead. It, Jeff? This was a great finish, first off. And this really worked. Both guys are bloody. Both guys are down on the mat. Tommy Gilbert has administered a 10 count. Neither guy gets up. He grabs the mic. And instead of doing a total screw job, which a lot of promoters would have done, Tommy Gilbert, of, of course, through the direction of the booker, Bill Watts, says first guy to get to his feet at the count by the count of 10 or the first guy to get to his feet will be declared the winner. So the angel of death, who was loosely associated with the Freebirds at this time, distracts the referee. Sunshine takes a large cup of something. I don't know what it is. Gives it to Gordy in the face. Gordy gets up. Referee doesn't see Gordy get up first. Then Williams gets up. Nails Gordy, I think, with a punch. Gordy goes down. Ref, of course, turns around at the right moment. Sees Williams standing up. And the the outside interference is now backfired and Williams wins. And that all happens in the space of maybe five to ten seconds. But it's so well done. It works on every level. I just loved it. Again, great look at a territory matchup. Jeff, before I we get your thoughts on this match, and, and I know that there's been a lot of conversation with this. I don't want to slight anyone. And I know that there will be a lot of people who will uh, – everybody's going to have a favorite. Is Terry Gordy the best wrestling big man of all time? I'll throw some other names at you. And this is not Ernie Ladd, I think, is an underrated great big man. Ernie Ladd's strength was the way that he connected with the crowd. You know, he could get people pissed or happy just by looking at them. And Ernie's knees were shot by the time he even got into wrestling, but he was a great big man. People have said Don Leo Jonathan was one of the the great, and I, unfortunately, I've only seen a couple of matches through the magic of videotape. Brock Lesnar would be a guy in this current professional wrestling uh, era that maybe many would consider, you know, who is, in your opinion, that you've seen and you can accurately judge the greatest wrestling big man? So when you ask that, a couple of names uh, popped into my head. Uh, I would say younger Andre was really good. You know, obviously when he got older and he put on, you know, too much weight and he really was, you know, incredibly slow towards the end. But Andre, uh, late 70s, that, you know, there's a match out there from Houston, as a matter of fact, with him and uh, him and Harley Race, where he's just amazing. And, you know, there's there's other matches we've seen from earlier in his career where he really, yeah, I think, uh, I want to say it's a match in Japan. Maybe it's like against Stan Hansen, who's another great big man, uh, that we're, you're watching it and you're going, holy shit, Andre was really good here. Stan Hansen, Andre, uh, if you categorize Brody as, as quote unquote, a big man, 
Uh, Vader was a guy that was very impressive uh, for his sons. When he became Vader, uh, when he was Leon White, he wasn't nearly as impressive, but that was a guy that definitely was made for that gimmick. Uh, those are some names that uh, right, right off the top of my head. You know, Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar was a guy, for a man his size, and, and I know, uh, you know, Famously, it was botched, but for a guy his size to attempt a shooting star press, yeah, uh, and he ended up kind of landing on his head. But the fact that he even attempted that move is is kind of staggering. And I'm sure, of course, naturally, there's somebody that we've forgotten that you know the uh, the experts out there are going to point out to us and say, "Oh, I can't believe you forgot this guy," you know. But you know, what can I say? We forgot him. Uh, yeah, Gordian Williams, the Miracle Violence Connection. That was their tag team name in Japan. Uh, as this match starts. You can imagine if Jim Ross was there, they'd be he'd be talking about they're like a couple of bulls out there in the yard, you know. And it's Gordy Williams, Gordy Williams, Gordy as the punches are flying back and forth, uh, you know. Back when uh, Ross was working for the UWF, these were two guys that uh, were on TV a lot together, and uh, you know, Bill Watts obviously loved these two guys in the ring because this was everything that Bill Watts wanted to present as his wrestling product. Two big guys. One with a legitimate background, another one that was just a, uh, you know, a brawling badass and, uh, you know, just great, great stuff. Uh, Texas death rules. I like the fact, and God knows we've said this more than once, Barry, this wasn't like, okay, it's a Texas death match. Let's lock up collar and elbow. No, I don't want to see that. I want two guys going out there and trying to kick the shit out of one another. And, you know, you get double color. Uh, and that's always, you know, make it makes the Texas death rules seem a little more legitimate, you know, and uh, Houston, Texas and the Sam Houston Coliseum is a great, great venue for pro wrestling. I had a chance to go there twice. I consider myself very fortunate because it was a very special building. Uh, Paul Bosch was such a great promoter. Uh, and, you know, uh, for all the I think behind the scenes, uh, uh, here's a word I don't know if I've used before, Barry, the behind the scenes, Michigas. Oh, Michigas. Thank you. I know you and Lewis uh, are familiar with that term. I love that. Yes. Yeah. So uh, uh, the the craziness, the altercations, whatever, um, the mess, if you will, that occurred between Paul and Bill Watts behind the scenes, they really worked, uh, you know, as a promoter and booker for the better part of, I want to say like close to five years that they, uh, the Mid-South and the UWF was in, uh, was in Houston uh, and just made some magical times together. And uh, this match uh, is is terrific stuff. I think uh, if you're looking for an old kick-ass, uh, what I used to refer to as a mid-south, you know, great main event. This is this is it. This is what you're going to look for. Uh, and uh, and these guys worked really well together. Uh, and then of course became part of a famous tag team. Uh, great match. We will post a link to it uh, in our Facebook group, Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. And if you give this, you give us a shot. Uh, for those of you that have a problem uh, watching it without an announcer, uh, if nothing else, stay to watch the guy that uh, Billy, uh, Billy, <laughs> Barry, your twin, Billy. Billy. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, pointed out the uh, the guy that comes up to the front row after the first fall and is just making a, a general nuisance of himself, but to hilarious effect, Barry. Oh, it's Billy to you now, sir. So, <laughs> that's where we're going with that. <laughs> Call me Billy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Barry, are you ready to play another edition of America's favorite game show, Florida Man or not? Oh, I'm excited for this one, Jeff. The The last one we did, which I think was this epic if I remember correctly, was this whole epic Florida Man or Not series. I, I'm going to try to see if I can top that. I've got some great headlines here. 
Let's see if the stories match up. Are you ready to go? Let's do it. A woman was arrested on Sunday after she entered a stranger's home, took all her clothes off, and began hugging and sitting on multiple people. Barry, when when is this not a bad thing to have happen to you? Other than the fact it's a stranger, you know. Yeah, and I think partly, well, the stranger's not the worst part. I think the issue is, what does this, again, a a strange woman who is with no clothes comes into your place and no, starts No, 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 she had clothes. She removed them, I believe, when oh. she entered. She was polite, you know. She, she was polite. Yeah, she so, you know. Uh, also, uh, reports indicate Heather Cruz, 35, said to have entered the property through a side door before exposing herself and grabbing and hugging the homeowner. She did this after taking off all her clothes. According to police reports, she told the victims, several of whom were over the age of 65, quote, <laughs> you'll like it. Yes. This is an awesome story. Okay, Barry. I love her. Florida woman or not. I love her. The mo- Really the most important question out of this entire scenario, what, what does Heather Cruz look like? I have a photo. All right. And then, then we should do hot or not on this one. I'm going to assume not hot, sadly, Though the thought of a Hispanic woman at 35 years old coming into my house and taking off all of her clothes, there's something to be said for that. But sounds like she's under the influence. Perhaps. Yeah, slightly. I'm going to say this is Florida where the influence is probably not just alcohol. So I'm going to say this did take place in Florida and she's not hot. Citrus County Donnellan. Oh, wow. uh, you know, and, uh, I'm going to say, looking at her photo, which uh, let me tell me is it this because I'm a giver, Barry. I'll send you sure. her photo right now. She's not necessarily hot, but it, uh, the any port in a storm category. Oh, no, she's fine, actually. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah. like, oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. she's not bad. I mean, again, we're only seeing the I, first off. OK, so well, the good and the bad. We're only seeing the face here. The booking photos are usually never, you know, glamorous. They're never glamorous, which we have to say, I do believe she may be a hefty individual. Well, you know. But she's not ugly. Who are you to judge, really, Barry? But that's all I do on this show, really. (laughs) I sit here and I judge. That's it. But I will say there is a certain blank stare in the eyes in this booking photo. That's a little frightening. But she is not, uh, she's not horrific at all. So, all right, uh, let's get to the next story. The headline, Barry, dog casually <laughs> throws up sex toy in middle of vets leaving them in hysterics. Wow. The story goes, we all know that dogs have a habit of munching on things they're not supposed to, but I don't think anyone was expecting this. A vet was left flabbergasted when a sad-looking Rottweiler was brought Aww. into her clinic and almost immediately vomited up, vomited up an entire pink vibrator in one swift, disgusting motion. Barry, there's video surveillance also. It's it's uh, it's it's kind of crazy. Uh, within seconds of the video starting, the dog is seen coughing up a disgusting-looking yellowy liquid. Oh my! And then after appearing to gag for a for a brief moment, coughs up nothing other than a pink vibrator. Oh, Barry, Florida man or not? So just so I'm clear, the dog ate the dildo. Well, you know. I we I, I'm I'm guessing that uh, this wasn't uh, you know given to the dog and said here Fido swallow right uh, the dog the dog found it in the uh, in the bottom of the sock drawer perhaps where, where yes and decided to help himself to eat this this dildo vibrator deal 
certainly, first off, great story. Do, is there a photo of the woman? Who, I know there's a photo of the dog. <laughs> I, I want to see the woman that was using the vibrator. Uh, Look at but, you again, always being judgmental. Absolutely, 100%. Look, it's a, I don't get paid enough to not be judgmental, Jeff, as you know. So I'm going to sit here and be in huge judgmental uh, over all this shit. I'm going to say it's not Florida, but that's only based off the first story being in Florida. Well, I'm going to tell you, Barry, that as I review the story, I'm going to give you credit for it because there's no actual location given. There is the article. It is from... Uh, L uh, lad Bible, the LAD Bible.com. So uh, we don't actually know uh, where this story took place, but uh, yeah, this, the headline was so great. I was like, I, I got to throw this one at Barry just because, uh, you know, yeah. So good stuff. Uh, all right, Barry, our next story, we go to the headline. 76 year old woman vandalized the car of her ex's new girlfriend. A 76-year-old woman vandalized the car of her ex's new girlfriend and wrote, quote, slut, mm. in pink lipstick. Every now and then, a spurned lover crosses the line, and we think someday they'll mature and regret this. Maybe that's not always true. A 76-year-old woman named Patsy, Patsy, you don't hear a lot of women named Patsy. <laughs> Patsy, good job. Flipped out on her ex and his new girlfriend back in September. She drove up to the guy's place and vandalized their car. She actually crashed her car into his poured oil over the air. Well, apparently she was pissed off, Bear. Wow. And wrote stuff like, loves kinky sex and womanizer. Barry, this could be you. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, and pink lipstick on the windows, both, by the way, misspelled. Oh. <laughs> kinky, K-I-N-K-E-Y, and womanizer, W-O-M-I-N-Z-E-R. Then Patsy went over to the girlfriend's car and poured oil on it and, quote, put a dead raccoon on the hood. Wow. She also wrote slut and pink lipstick. It was a BMW and was damaged so badly it was deemed, quote, a total loss. Wow. The boyfriend is 74. His girlfriend, spring chicken, the article says, at age 64. <laughs> Multiple felony criminal mischief counts bury Florida man or Florida woman or not. So kinky sex, that she's she's talking about her former boyfriend? Yes. And it and and that is supposed to be a uh, some sort of slur or insult. I, apparently, I don't know because it sounds to me like I like this guy. This, this yeah. guy's already like, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say this. This has all the year markings for for, for Florida. Yes, I will say only that uh, it does not list a specific city, but it all says right. a 76 year old woman in Florida. So I will give you credit for that one. Our next story, Barry. Wow. 48-year-old mom stole daughter's identity to go to college and date young guys. Wow. Yeah, boy. Uh, the article uh, goes on. Maybe Aunt Becky had it backwards. Remember, I know what that's a reference to, Barry. Aunt Becky was full house. Uh, Laura, uh, Lori Laughlin, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. sent in the big house. Well, uh, sure. Maybe uh, Aunt Becky had it backwards. She should have taken row uh, rowing photos of herself so that she could get into USC and check out the young eye candy. A 48-year-old woman named Laura stole her daughter's identity so that she could go to college. She didn't want to get a degree. She wanted to date young guys. Right. Somehow she managed to run this scam for two years. Before wow. And it was elaborate. She got a social security card in her daughter's name and even got federal student loans. Now that's, that's where you get in trouble when you start doing federal stuff. 
She was 43 at the time. Claimed she was 22. Apparently, the guy she seduced had no idea. She even wow. scored a job at the library, which is almost too perfect. She's now facing five years in the pen. Barry, Florida woman or not. I'm thinking we can, we should cut her some kind of break here because, <laughs> I mean, if you if you if you're 43 and you're passing yourself off as 22. No photos, by the way, unfortunately of. Uh, but if you're getting away with that, that's absolutely well, you know, incredible. That's true. That's you're true. dating guys who believe that, and you're going to class. You're you're interacting with multiple students and professors at the library of all of all places. People, I I whatever she's guilty of. They should just get immediately dismiss it. This did not take place in Florida. This took place somewhere in Massachusetts. That's a good guess, right. but no. Now it actually with. was not Florida, though. Missouri, the show wow. me state. All right. You know, so uh, she apparently decided, Laura, uh, show me. And uh, she yeah. wanted the young boys to show her. So oh. uh, anyway, next story. Barry comes to us. Uh, let's see what we got here. Pulling up. Quote, man high on crack. Says a big snake invited him into neighbor's house at 2 a.m. Sure. Of course, yeah, naturally. Sure. Uh, let's see. A man who is high on drugs. Go figure, Barry. He may have been under the influence. Attempted to enter his neighbor's residence this week after, quote, a big snake, unquote, told him to do so. Police documents showed police were responding to a report of an attempted unauthorized entry into a residence around 2 a.m. when they spotted 52-year-old Jesse and one of his female neighbors. Oh, it's nice. He took a neighbor with him, Barry. According to an affidavit filed by the police department, the neighbor told the responding policeman, identified as Officer Townsend, that uh, the man attempted to open the back door. Well, wait a minute. He attempted to open the back door. Oh. Now we're entering a gray ah. area. So, Here's the story. Yeah, yes. there we go. Uh, according to police document, after being advised of his Miranda rights, Terry revealed, quote, he had smoked crack within the last hour. It's a stunning development to all who are listening. Uh, let's see. Uh, the officer wrote in the affidavit. Additionally, the uh, defendant explained that, a quote, a big snake told him to open the victim's door and go inside. Barry, Florida man or not. So you've got crack. You've got uh, hallucinatory big snakes. Barry, have you ever seen a big snake when you're under the influence of anything? Uh, yeah, actually, as a matter of fact, but that's a that's a whole nother story. I <laughs> say I'm going to say this did take place in Florida. Yes. Ochita Parish, Louisiana, my friend. Oh. So that is your first wrong answer today. That was that's, my next guess, too. That's that was a that's a great freaking headline, though. So uh, let's see, Barry, uh, just heard this one today. So I thought I'd share it with you. Because it involves the restaurant industry, Barry. All right. <laughs> quote, woman calls 911 about her KFC order and says, quote, I want my chicken. A woman called dispatch Tuesday saying she wanted to help, quote, getting all her chicken from KFC. All right. The woman told a dispatcher she was at the KFC and paid for eight pieces of chicken. She only got four, Barry. She says, I only got four pieces of chicken. I want my chicken, she told the dispatcher. The dispatcher told the woman that this was a civil matter and she would not have to take it up, or that she would have to take it up with management. There is not much, quote, that the police can do about it. The dispatcher said, Barry, Florida woman or not. So, Jeff, I share with you, because I understand her anger. I went to a KFC 
in Bradenton, Florida, got to be seven or eight years ago. I was with the family, the ex uh, married at the time, obviously, and the two kids. We got a shitload of food. We were all starving. We were headed to Anna Maria Island. We pull out. We're driving. You pull out what? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. The rest. Well, no, no. Pull out of the uh, of the parking lot. We're about halfway to Anna Maria. We realize three orders of potato wedges never made it in our bag. I was so angry. I wanted to turn around and go back. I was overruled. I understand this woman's pain. I did not call the police, but I tell you, every time I drive by this KFC, I'm tempted to go in and demand potato wedges, which really are delicious, by the way. They're potato wedges. I am going to say this, though. This definitely took place in Florida. Euclid, Ohio. Damn it. By the way, Euclid, Ohio, famous as being the hometown of former Minnesota Vikings running back Robert Smith who later migrated to a college nearby. I'm not going to mention the name of that college, but he played for the Vikings. Really nice career. Barry, let's get back to this, though, for a second, because we uh, here in lovely Cumming, Georgia, we we have a McDonald's not too far from where we live. Sure. And it's, you know, McDonald's is like one of those, eh, eh, screw it, let's just get McDonald's. You know, like yeah, you, you really can't decide. It. And it's, it's funny because literally, I want to say the last five times we've been there, it's become famous to the sainted Mrs. Bowder and I because... They screw up the order somehow, somewhere. Sure. Yeah, you know, they forget the fries. Uh, they put pickles where they're not supposed to put pickles. Uh, something is a, a Coke instead of Diet Coke. Something is fucked up with the order, and they're now famous for it. Very frustrating. So, Barry, let me just say, uh, as a man who has uh, experience in the restaurant industry, both as a server and manager. That's really taken off. Wait, 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 wait. Check, check, check. Thank you. But that, I got to admit, that's really, that's really take. That's very organic the way that's taken <laughs> off too. So I like so, that. Wait a minute. So since, yes. since you have an experience in the restaurant industry, say you're the manager <laughs> of this particular KFC, uh, right. you you are notified that the woman is outraged that her order was shortened. Uh, by four entire pieces of chicken. I don't know if we're talking about a lovely leg, a breast, a wing, whatever. So the woman comes in, bitches. What do you do to satisfy this woman? If, and I should say that's, it, we don't know this because I do believe when it comes to quick serve, they don't give a shit whether you're satisfied or not. So, but if I was running it like I was running a restaurant, I'm going to offer her a, a four piece dinner. So she's not just getting the chicken, She's going to get the sides with it as well, including dessert and beverage. Yeah. So I, I, have I would a say I was thinking uh, like uh, at the very least, the woman comes in, she's, uh, you know, in a tizzy and maybe yeah. a nice gift card from KFC. You know, do they have those? Do I don't know. Yeah, that 10 right. bucks. Here's a gift card, honey. Uh, we'll see you next yeah. time. Or or like you said, uh, you could uh, offer her the uh, the full dinner and I'm sure. Oh, well, she probably wouldn't be satisfied even then because she's probably just a woman that bitches and complains about everything. Now, Barry, we come to possibly the greatest headline in the history wow. of Florida Man or Not. Are you ready? I mean, yeah, super excited. Barry, the headline from the New York Post, bastion of journalistic excellence. All right. The headline reads, woman caught breastfeeding her hairless cat on a Delta flight. <laughs> woman who took a Delta flight recently wasn't, this is actually what the article says, she wasn't right. kitten around. Uh, <laughs> you see what they did there? Very funny. That's cute. When she whipped out her breast and started feeding her hairless cat. It's Mr. Bigglesworth. <laughs> the unidentified female was flying from, uh, I'm not going to say from where to where, 
where she was caught breastfeeding her feline on the plane. A flight attendant told her repeatedly to stop and put the cat back in its cage. However, the woman refused. A message was sent through the Aircraft Communications Addressing and Reporting System, ACARS, to alert Delta crew that a passenger in seat 13A is breastfeeding a cat and will not put the cat back in its carrier when the flight attendant requested. Uh, let me see if the article goes on. Uh, the flight attendant, Ansley Elizabeth, who was on board during the incident, took to TikTok. Not a fan of TikTok. Hey, you like TikTok? No, I don't care. Ah, yeah, yeah, the, young, yeah. the young people, they swear by it. That's to explain more of what happened, the uh, the flight attendant said this woman had one of those like hairless cats swaddled up in a blanket so it looked like a baby. Her shirt was up and she was trying to get the cat to latch and she wouldn't put the cat back in its carrier. <laughs> the, the cat this is great, was screaming for latch. its life. <laughs> oh, Barry, this is a great one. So Florida woman or not. The cat won't latch. Yeah, that's that, that's that's got to go down. Stop on Mr. Bigglesworth. She won't. The cat won't latch onto my nipple. That is uh, that, that is great. We this, may have a new greatest story of, of all the segments. And what I find is interesting about this too is the fact that the cat was hairless seems to be really important because <laughs> it was mentioned like four times. It's not one of those fucking hairy cats, you know? Right. Right. Somehow this this is very germane to the story that the cat has no hair. So it's definitely a sexual thing is my guess. I mean, we're joking. It sounds like this woman may be suffering from some form of mental illness. I will only uh, say that, uh, and I mean this also, I, I hope so. Because if she's yeah. not having any sort of mental issue and she's doing this, ooh. <laughs> I know? just, I, I have a hard time thinking you're putting a hairless cat got against dressing hairless <laughs> on to, attaching to your nipple if you're not either under the influence of something hardcore or or there's serious mental illness and on this one i would go mental illness this so again i guess what we're looking for is she is she raised in is she a florida resident because if it happens in the air so she is she a florida resident she is not a florida resident she is a resident of california your guess is incorrect. However, this is not Florida woman. I would have given you credit for either right. Syracuse, New York, or Atlanta, GA. The flight was uh, ending in the ATL, as they call it. So, wow. Yes, breastfeeding the hairless cat. Do we have a photo of her or the cat? Uh, there is a photo here of a hairless cat. I don't know if it's her hairless cat. Uh, again, I have to. I have to send you this. Uh, this article, just so you can see a picture of the cat that they posted. It's actually pretty funny. <laughs> God bless the he's got he's got the ears perked up. So uh, you know, <laughs> and of course it comes from the New York Post. Yes, of course, again, bash, they, they do a great job of covering the Knicks. I don't know how great their journalism is these days. Oh, but. their journalism is terrible. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I think this is just a random cat. <laughs> yeah, th this is this is it's not so her the woman who wrote guy. this, Samantha Ibrahim. Yeah, kitten around, very cute. Boy, that's a cute little article. How do you so Jeff, with all the research you're doing, look at so wait, if you scroll down, there is a an, uh, there's a flight, there's a photo of Delta airplanes and a hairless cat. Like, oh yeah, that's it. That that's sure. That well, yeah, you got a photo of the plane and the cat, and then they got a picture yeah. of the message that was sent to the uh you know, the board, and there's a picture of a Delta jet at the gate. So you know it's true, Barry. You know, it's, So this one I wonder. That, so I, I have, on my own personal, I, I don't think I have an issue with a woman breastfeeding a cat on a plane. 
but let let's say you're you're traveling with two small children. How do you explain to the kids what's taking place? That there's a hairless cat attached to a nipple that a woman has got on her breast. How would you explain that? I, I guess you wouldn't be able to. You know, it's funny. I happen to uh, be scrolling. Uh, I don't know if it was Facebook or Twitter yesterday, and someone had posted. You know, one of these. Uh, it might have been a TikTok video, like you know, five seconds long. Sure. And uh, it's a guy on a plane who is sitting and next to him to his right is a little kid. Looks like he's maybe nine or 10 years old. And next to him, probably the kid's mother. And the individual uh, on his laptop is watching what can only be described as a video of a, uh, of a woman at a strip joint uh, who's uh, putting a, Putting the kitten up there uh, against the screen, if you will, Barry. So, uh, you know, and, and, and the look on the little kid's face is kind of watching the video <laughs> was pretty hilarious. So oh, I'm sure. I, I, I have yeah. to say, though, I know that people bring animals on. I have to be honest with you. The last time I brought a dog on a plane was when I believe I might have been. Well, let's do the math here. The four, I was like 14 years old when okay. we were coming overseas from Cuba. And we were flying into Florida. We brought our dog Lady with us. And literally, that's the last time I ever brought a dog on a plane. These people out there, I'm not going to go on a rant here, although I could. But the people that, you know, oh, this is an emotional support animal. You know, my my uh, little uh, Shih Tzu is an emotional support animal. And, you know, the thing is, I'm sure there are people out there that, as you said, have mental difficulties who, who need support animals. Sure. Okay. And, you know, that. But. I have to believe a vast majority of them are just people that, oh, I want to bring my dog with me, or I want to bring my hairless cat with me. You know, uh, I just think the majority of these have to be some sort of scams. You know, these people that go into Publix and you look and they've got their dog sitting in the, you know, car. Like, like really? You can't leave your dog home for half an hour while you make the run to Publix, Barry? Am I wrong there? No, so I agree with that. And I'm going to, I'm going to present a couple of different scenarios with this as well. So, there are essentially two different categories. There is support dog and service dog. And service dog is for somebody that this is not an emotional support dog. This is a dog that has been trained. This Absolutely is a correct. Dog that, yeah. So I'm, and, and I know support dog is somebody that has, uh, you know, it, there's an emotional issue, possibly a psychologist or a psychiatrist has recommended. They also, they do go through training, but that training is not as extensive as a true support dog. So yes, I agree. I've never, look, Ozzy, let, let's be honest. I take Ozzy everywhere I can possibly take him with me. He's never been on an airplane, which hence why I drive, because it doesn't quite seem right to take a hundred pound dog on a plane. And I certainly wouldn't do that. My issue with a lot of this, and this is a rant that I could go on forever. And then I will, I will clue you in as to what I have done recently. I take Ozzy everywhere. Ozzy has been in more hotels than the majority of people listening to this podcast right now. And the problem is every time I do that, there is a hefty fee for, for allowing a dog in a hotel. So, it, you know, there was a hotel that I stayed at in Pooler, Georgia. It was $100 per night. So I said to the receptionist or the person, the reservationist, on the phone, I said, I have a question. Why is it $100 for, for my dog to stay in the hotel room? It's just me and Ozzy, first off. There's nobody else. 
It's not like he needs an extra bed. There's nothing else that's involved. Why would you charge if the room's 200, you're charging me an additional 100. That room's now $300. That's crazy. And their response was, well, it's because we would do additional cleaning because there's a dog in the room. And then, of course, ever thinking, I said, so you mean the cleaning procedures would be deeper than they are currently with COVID protocols? And the person went, well, I, 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 so I said, I would like to speak to a manager about this then. So uh, this would have been two weeks ago. At this point, no manager has called me, but I started doing the calculations on it. And I got to say, even the place where I'm currently living, my apartment, I had to pay a 350 one-time non-refundable fee for a dog. And then I have to pay $35 a month. Of course, the irony is if you wanted to move in with me today, Jeff, and you know you do. Well, if you, if you wanted saying. to move in, there's no fee whatsoever for another human living with me. The fee is incurred only if it's a dog. So you start doing the math and you say a one-time fee of $350, then a $35 per month fee. I'm now 14 months into my apartment. This is added up. You take into account that, all the hotel stays and all that. I have spent and wasted thousands of dollars. So in my bitching, which I was bitching to somebody that I live with, and I got to say, it, it, in paying that $35 a month, let me tell you what I get for, for that $35 a month. Do you have time for this? No, sure. Okay. Well, hold on. Wow, that's a lot. And there you go, Jeff. That's what I get for my additional $35. You see how I picked right up on that, by the way? You knew right away where I was going with that. So I, I said, and this really came up uh, across in my head because I was really ticked off about this hotel in Georgia. Uh, it isn't like people walk around picking up dog shit. There's nothing that occurs. And I, uh, somebody said, you know, you should register your dog as a support animal. You'll be able to have all of these fees waived. And Jeff, I took that advice. Ozzy is, and let's be honest, Ozzy is a support animal because he certainly has gotten me through. But at the same time, I'm against people who who do take their dog to Publix and and who do, you know, it, when you go to Disney World and you just know when you look at the dog, you know that dog's not a service dog. The dog's fucking pulling and trying to chase squirrels. Yeah. That's not a service dog if that's occurring. That I am dead against. On the other hand, I'm really against getting fucked because I own a dog. And if I want to go to a hotel, you charge me a hundred bucks for nothing. So end result, I get your point, but I also understand the other side of it. And a lot of it is big companies and big businesses. I don't think airlines are in that business though of charging for support and whatever it is. But on the same token, the big question I always have, let's say you're taking a flight, Jeff, you live, let's say you're in Atlanta, you're going out to Washington state. That's got to be a six or seven hour flight. Easy, right? Sure. You have a dog on the flight with you. What's what's the protocol there? Does a, does he go back into the bathrooms and you put down wee wee pads? Yeah, like, right. Like, how does a dog go if it's like, you know, God forbid it's a transatlantic flight. What if they're going and which I'm again, I'm assuming by law, maybe they can't, but I don't know. But what does a dog do if, if you're not stopping for hours upon hours? 
how do you what, how does a dog well, and you know the the other thing we haven't even mentioned yet is my understanding is if you take your and i'm just going to use this as an example sure. into, into Publix, okay my understanding is the people at the business are not allowed to come up and say um, is that a support animal? Because we That's don't allow correct. dogs, you know, so you basically, you bring your dog in and they can't say anything to you, which, you know, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. People that need it for uh, emotional support or, you know, like people that are, have some sort of a handicap and need the dog uh, for assistance. No problem whatsoever. They absolutely should be with the person, but you know, just because, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to leave uh, Fido at home for 30 minutes while I run up to, to Publix or, or, or Kroger or something like that. That's complete horseshit, and I, I hate that people get away with that. Yeah, and, and what they're and what's really happening with that too is that they're fucking everybody who does need it because at some point a lot of these laws and rules are going to change. That you know, it's it, it, there's going to be tougher restrict. There has to be tougher restrictions that'll be coming up on this because of the abuse of it. I'll tell you two quick stories. When I was working in New York City, Jeff, uh, server or manager. I was a manager. We had a guy come in with a service dog. This would have been in the 90s. I was unfamiliar. I had never had this happen. This was before the explosion of service and support animals. So I, I said to him, I, I said, is that a, you know, is this because I, I think in my head, I was assuming you must be deaf or blind. Like that's all that service dogs were being used for back in those days. Right. So but I, I forget what I said. Turns out he was the nicest guy ever and started to educate me and said, by law, as you just said, you can't even ask me if this is a service dog. And then I said, and he was a nice guy. This wasn't like confrontational or adversarial at all. And he said, uh, and I said, so, you know, devil's advocate, what if somebody walks in with the dog and I, I'm just supposed to assume that it's a service dog. And he said, the way the law is structured, yes, that's exactly right. You have, you have zero recourse in trying to get any sort of documentation on that. With that, he then pulled out his documentation and showed me again, didn't have to do that. And I didn't, I didn't even request it. This was a friendly conversation, but I learned a lot. I was in, I was at uh, universal studios over this past summer. And I stayed at a Universal Studios hotel on our last night there. Uh, Zoe wanted to go to an ice cream place at the Yacht and Beach Club called Beaches and Cream. And the resort is a, is a dog friendly resort. So we put Ozzy in the in the car and we're going and we get there. And the guy said, unfortunately, because of our covid protocols, we're not allowing any outside guests to come into the property you know, only if you've made a reservation, which they don't take and it's ice cream. So he said, I'm not, I'm unfortunately, I can't bring you uh, inside. I apologize. He was friendly about it. We were disappointed. He then says to me, he goes, you know, there's an ice cream place on the boardwalk you can go to. And you're familiar with the Disney boardwalk. I have to be honest with you. It's been, so I haven't been to Disney in God, probably 15 years. Okay. Well, it's, it's been there. It's been there for 25 years. And then I say, well, I'm aware of this place. It looks great, but the boardwalk isn't dog friendly. The security guard, hand to God on this one, looks at me and says, just say he's a service animal. That's what everyone else does. Now, this was a security guard at yeah, Disney I know. World that's, you know, telling that's... me to lie and to do that. That's and I and I wouldn't do it. I just I still don't feel right about that yeah. because again, you're fucking it for somebody who truly, you know. So, yes, it, it, to me, the whole is crazy. The whole situation is crazy. 
they need to get to a point where uh, this is being regulated a little more that people are either required to have something for the dog to show that it is a service dog and that this whole thing that you can't ask is kind of ridiculous. I'm assuming you can't ask whether it's an embarrassment factor. I don't, I'm not sure what it is, but think of all the questions that can be asked and then think of the fact that you can't ask, is that a service dog? That seems a little weird to me. So, and if you want to go further down the rabbit hole on this, so say you're bringing Fido into Publix, uh, you know, and Fido proceeds to leave a big uh, heap and steam a one. Yes. Uh, it's my emotional support dog. I, I couldn't possibly uh, leave him by himself for two seconds to clean up the mess. My dog. May- Are you then expecting the employee of Publix Kroger's or wherever to clean up your dog's shit? Because I got to be honest with you, if I'm a guy working part time. Uh, even if you're a young teenage kid and you're working there for uh, 11, 12 bucks an hour or whatever like that, and uh, your manager, uh, Chris Zaha, says, uh, yeah, clean up on aisle 14. Uh, or we could get the uh, the guy that we know that does uh, the cleanup, uh, at least used to do cleanups. You send him over and say, uh, yeah, that dog's shit right there. I need you to clean it up. Like, really? Well, How is that his responsibility? Your dog shit. Be. You should clean it up. I'm sorry. And it shouldn't be. And, and that is that whole gray area. By the same token, though, if if a let's say uh, let's say that somebody we know went to Taco Bell, hit the toilet and fucking blew it off, that there's shit on the walls, an employee would have to go in and have to clean that. And Uh, and that's and that's expected. That's part of what you were hired for. If you know, if Zach in uh, one of his uh, visits to a taco joint uh, blows up the bowl, well, you're the maintenance guy. That's what you're expected to do. But. Some lady brings her little, uh, you know, dog in, and the dog shits on the on aisle four. Is that really the maintenance man's responsibility to clean that up? It's not. You, this is, you're bringing up a great point. What is the responsibility of employees where there's food and beverage? And you, it, this is great. And I bring this up because this is a get Zaha on the phone for clarification here. I just had this conversation with somebody two or three days ago. In restaurants, people, you know, people, when people go out to eat, there's an expectation, incorrectly in my opinion, that they can do whatever the fuck they want because they're paying. They can make a complete mess of their of their area and then just walk away and like, well, you'll clean it up. You know, again, it could be somebody's kid. It could be a husband, a wife, whatever. And especially the worst in that case are parents because parents will bring their kids and it's not a baby's fault. Look, a baby, they don't know any better. They'll take the food. They'll they'll throw everything. We used to have in New York City, Jeff, this would irritate the shit out of me, the, the sugar caddy. So you've got your little caddy filled with sugar, sweet and low, blue, pink, and white. And the kids would take it out. They would open up the packets. They would throw it on the floor. The parents would look and walk away. And I would always in my head be like, fuck you. If I went to your house and I opened up all your fucking sugar packets and threw it on the floor, you're going to be happy with that? Yes, we have somebody to clean it up if there's an unintentional mess. But if you're sitting there watching your kids take handfuls of sugar and food and throw it on the floor and do nothing to stop it and then just walk away, oh, yeah, they'll take care of it. That used to irritate the shit out of me. We go down this rabbit hole because some lady breastfeeds her cat. On a Delta flight. A hairless cat. Last Florida man or not, Barry. The headline 
Man's penis turns black and rots after he injected it with cocaine. Oh. The, uh, the horrifying tale was reported by doctors. They said the 35-year-old unnamed man turned up at the emergency room in agony. Go figure, Barry. He was in agony. Oh. He had spent the past three days in, quote, excruciating, unquote, and worsening pain in the penis, scrotum, groin area, and right foot. The pain started almost immediately after he injected the class A drug cocaine into the dorsal vein of the Barry, are you familiar where your dorsal vein is in your penis? It's the big one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, which runs the full the full length of the shaft. We are getting into details here, folks. And this is the best part, Barry. It wasn't the first time he'd chosen the mind-boggling method of delivering his high. The oh. man admitted to have injected cocaine into the dorsal vein at least twice in the past fortnight, although without any obvious problems. Barry, have you ever, uh, you know, uh, when you're uh, maybe in your past, if you'd ever, uh, I'm not saying you, of course, have ever used cocaine. No, of course not. But any uh, any uh, attempt to inject in a weird area? I got to say, too, if I, if I had ever done cocaine or would be admitting to it, uh, the last thing I would ever do is inject my penis with anything at any point. I'm not a big needles guy, first off. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, so he yeah. had a, uh, he said he had a long history of intravenous drug use with most other injection sites damaged. He had turned to one of the only places left, his penis. Barry, to quote Neil Young, I've seen the needle and the damage done. Upon examination, medics discovered swelling, ulcers, Quote, a foul-smelling serious discharge. Well, I hate when that happens, Barry. Oh. And, ne and necrosis, the medical term for rotting tissue. Barry, I can't go on because this is so horrible. Oh. Florida man or not. So one question, did he wind up losing his dick? I don't know, but Lou with a cute comment. I've seen the needle and the damaged dong. That was pretty good. <laughs> that is cute, too. So this easily could be Florida. You've got cocaine, which is a major source of uh, trade for the state of How Florida. How dare obviously. you? How dare you defame our Florida fans? Absolutely. You've also got bad decision-making, which could be Florida. So I would be tempted. However, you use the word fortnight in describing this story. That, and I will say that was the, uh, the word used in the article. So this so is not something I, I came up with. I'm going to say that this this took place in in the UK, uh, even though I look, I don't know how popular cocaine is in the UK, but I'm going to say this took place out of the country. Again, cocaine, bad decisions, history of intravenous drug use, screaming Florida. I'm going to say this took place somewhere in the United Kingdom. <laughs> New York, New York, the city is so nice. They named it twice in the Bronx, Barry. Apparently, they used uh, uh, the word Fortnite in the Bronx. Although, I, I will <laughs> I say, that, but <laughs> apparently, the art, though the incident happened in New York, the uh, the paper was the U.S. Sun. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, it all makes nice little swerve on that one. Very, very smart. I like it. Barry, before we get to our match of the week, there's two particular people that I want to mention that are in our thoughts. Uh, here at Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin Barry, two good guys that we both know. 
Uh, the first one is uh, our brother shipper, uh, Joe Christie. Joe is dealing with some really, really awful uh, health issues right now. And uh, uh, just it's gut-wrenching what poor Joe is having to go through. Uh, and uh, I don't even know if Joe is able to still listen to uh, our podcast. But if you, uh, if you are able to, Joe, we want you to know that, my man, you are in our thoughts. And the entirety of the brothership has your back. And uh, is thinking good thoughts for you, and uh, we want you to to kick out of this problem you're having and to to get better, my man, Barry. Oh, this is a tough one too. Joe has been with us for day one. Joe is the he led the charge with the spearheading of uh, my shit jokes, and uh, and I was the butt of those. And you know, as Joe knows, I I loved it actually. It was uh, you know I talked about shit. You were the you were the butt of shit jokes. Did you mean? Oh, to you do that? saw it. Oh, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> I knew, I knew. Let's I know Joe there. would enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was in the rectory that he came up. Oh, okay. With. So, Thank oh, you. there you go. So, in any case, uh, yeah. But uh, Joe, uh, you know, Joe kept what was essentially a one or two joke uh, thing just running for years, and uh, I'll always be, you know, grateful in some ways, and <laughs> maybe not in other ways. But uh, Joe is a great guy. We we're hopeful that Joe can still make it down to the Fan Fest in June. Joe was the recipient of uh, the grant. I I guess it was a grant contest that was run by Frankie Seacrest and his uh, beautiful wife, Jana. And they picked up airfare, hotel, ticket to the event, everything, and even spending money for Joe. And, uh, you know, I'm so hopeful he's going to be able to make it. But as you said, Joe is... Currently, I guess, in a deep battle, he's he's been fighting cancer. And uh, as you know, Jeff, and a lot of our listeners, everybody's been touched by somebody. Joe is really having a hard time. I will say there is the power of the brothership. There are thousands of people in Joe's corner. A lot of his friends are friends that have come from online, which is amazing, from the brothership and and from online communities. And there's so many people pouring, uh, put, pouring their hearts out. Uh, and pulling for Joe. And and I can tell you, Jeff, I know you, I, Sweet Lou, and the entire brothership, we want Joe to get better, get better quick, and we're so hopeful that he can make it down to Tampa in June. So speaking of the the CWF Legends Fan Fest, I know that uh, one of the guys that you had planned to have uh, make an appearance at the CWF Legends uh, Fan Fest uh, that was unfortunately canceled because of COVID, when COVID first uh, broke, was uh, our friend Jeff Gardner. Uh, the snake master of Buddha Dean and uh, because of COVID. And and I think Jeff was going to be there and he was going to, uh, I don't know if he was going to auction off or give away the, the famed, uh, you know, uh, the gimmick that he used to go, was it the golden spike uh, or whatever. Uh, and Jeff also much like Joe is going through some very serious health situations. I actually posted something about it in the group and, uh, Jeff has always been a guy that was really good to me uh, as far as when I was active and watching the uh, the independent scene in South Florida for for many years uh, with uh, a few of my uh, my friends. And uh, he always was there to to help us, uh, you know, get a good uh, a good ticket, a a good seat, very accommodating, uh, a good guy. And uh, we know that uh, his friend uh, and I think essentially caretaker. uh, Nisi uh, Bellinger uh, is posting updates on Facebook uh, about Jeff. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the other day she posted a picture of Jeff and Jeff was on a ventilator. And I think at some point uh, Nisi uh, had 
mentioned to uh, our friend Pete Letterberg that Jeff had actually coded one morning and the doctors had to revive him. There was some concern about uh, loss of oxygen to the brain and uh, long-term impact, even if he did recover. And then this past weekend, uh, Nisi had posted a, a picture of Jeff and Jeff was uh, off the ventilator. He was smiling. She mentioned that he had made a, a little bit of a recovery. Uh, he appeared to have uh, more cognitive ability than he had uh, the last time she had spoken to him. So uh, we want to send our thoughts, best wishes uh, out to our friend Jeff Gardner, the uh, the snake, snake master of Buddha Dean, uh, people asking Jeff to uh, to kick out of this. Uh, you know, and uh, there has been uh, no three count on Jeff yet. Uh, there has been a two count, but not that three count bear. Yeah. So and you're right about Jeff, too. So I uh, Jeff, great friends with the professor, Pete Letterberg. You know, they've been friends for years. They've had a relationship, a, a friendly relationship for years. And you were right. Jeff was scheduled to be at one of our events that was uh, going to take place at the Fort Hester Lee Armory. And this was during covid. Of course, that was canceled, but it would have been the first ever reunion between Maha Singh, Bob Roop, Kevin Sullivan, and the Snake Master. So it was really great. And Jeff was so excited about this. That was the best part. Jeff was, uh, Jeff just wanted to be a part of it. Jeff was like, oh my God, this is, you know, this is so exciting. This is just something that I really want to do, that I really want to be a part of, and uh, wanted to work with this. And, and just just an all, you know, I didn't really know him, right? But he was just an all-around great guy, and uh, I, I, I truly do hope that he's able to kick out of this. I know that he does go to a lot of the local events that take place in South Florida, and he's always well-respected and treated well. So I, I'm hopeful that he does kick out. and. Jeff, I did want to bring up uh, a passing that had occurred this past week, and I'll tell you a little story about it, unless you had something else to say about Jeff. No, please go ahead. So last summer, I was at the gathering down in Charlotte, and uh, it was my first time ever in the gathering, and uh, I, I was with the professor, Pete Letterberg. I was with Zach, my son, and we, have, uh, we had a table. And right nearest, the table next to us was the the former wife, widow of Wahoo McDaniel, and Wahoo's son, whose name was Nolan. And uh, he was a really sweet kid. He came over, introduced himself to me, and I believe he was deaf, but he was able to verbally communicate. But there was, you know, it was almost like that Lou Ferrigno thing. Like I, I had to look at his lips to see what he was saying because I didn't always, but he had a heart of gold. He was the sweetest kid. And when I say kid, he was 29 years old, but a really nice kid. And he sat and talked with me for 15 minutes. And I started telling him stories of his dad, Wahoo, when he worked Florida. And Wahoo was very impactful on me when I was younger as a wrestling fan. And he sat there, didn't even blink as I'm telling him these stories, loved his dad, idolized his dad. It was very obvious and said, if you have anything on my dad from his time there, I'd love it. And I said, you know what? Hold on. And I gave him a couple of programs that I happened to have. They were doubles from 78. And he was so happy. He hugged me, just met the kid, but he was so happy. And uh, just you got this vibe. This was a really sweet, innocent kid that uh, had obviously had some health issues and some struggles. And I woke up to the news, I think it was late last week, that he had passed away overnight from cardiac arrest at the age of 30. And uh, his mother, as 
any mother when your child goes is completely devastated. And it was just very sad. He was just such a sweet kid. So, you know, rest in peace, Nolan McDaniel. I, uh, you know, sometimes life truly does suck. But hopefully you get to see your dad wherever you are and uh, know that people thought a lot about you in your passing. All right, Barry, as we wrap up this week's episode of Breaking Cave with Bowdrin and Barry, do want to mention one thing. Barry, I'm going to break kayfabe to the audience. Can you hear the hush that's fallen over the crowd? Apparently, including Barry Rose, Lou. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you were waiting with bated breath. Oh, you know I was. Absolutely. And if you've got bait on your breath, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, I want to break kayfabe and tell the folks something I have not discussed. Barry... Let's talk about my side hustle that I've been doing. Sure. This, the, the male prostitution that you, well, that's, that's on the weekends only, you know, Uh, for a nominal fee. All right. However, I have been doing Uber eats. Yes. The booker is doing a little side hustle, uh, ah, 15, 16 hours a week, get a little jingle in the pocket. And, uh, Mrs. Bowdrin also basically said, yeah, it's time for you to get out there and do something. And, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, Got to have the uh, happy wife, happy life, as we've heard on many, many occasions. But I want to mention something about it. First of all, I'm having a lot of fun doing it because basically I drive around and take people food while I'm listening to uh, other podcasts or I'm listening to my radio. I'm in my car. Uh, and just like Gary Newman said, uh, you know, here in my car, I feel safest of all. I can lock all my doors. Uh, it's the only way to live. Uh, but what I want to mention. Cars. Yes, exactly. Uh, good song, good video too, by the way, Barry. Yes. Uh, what I want to mention is if you do not realize this, the majority of the income earned by the drivers that are delivering you your food is made out of the tips. Now I will say, I want to say somewhere between two thirds and three quarters of my income that I've made so far. And I have to say uh, for the two weeks I've done it so far, I've done pretty well. I'm very happy. And so is Mrs. Bowdrin, which of course I said, Barry is the most important thing. Uh, sure. she's, she scares me, Barry. Don't tell anybody. But anyway, the majority, as I look back on it, is earned through people's very generous tips that they've given me. And I've made some, you know, some people you, you get a tip and you go like, oh, okay, that was nice. And then you get some people you're like, wow, well, well that, that was worth the trip. You know, it, maybe you go a little further than you do on your normal deliveries. So all I'll say if you avail yourself for the opportunity to use the Uber Eats app, I will just tell you, be kind to the person delivering your food to you because they are going above and beyond, as I am doing. Uh, people have been extremely generous to me with their tips, and I'm very appreciative. So if you get a chance, I think uh, there is a certain portion that is included. Uh, if you do, don't mind going, maybe it's even a dollar or two above what is it, the expected tip? Because a part of the app, when you get a you get paying for a prospective delivery, uh, it'll say, uh, "Oh, here's a delivery from so and so with expected tip." So although you'll drive, and after you drive, you make the delivery, and they you know, ping you back saying, "Okay, you've made the delivery. That was worth it's you know like three or four bucks," and you're sitting there going, "Really, really? That's what I fucking made on that?" But you still haven't got the tip that you've gotten from that person. And then all of a sudden, a couple, maybe an hour later, that tip will ping in and boom, all of a sudden you go, oh yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, that delivery was worth it. Uh, that was very nice of the person. And then of course, 
you can, there's another part of the app that lets you thank the person for their very generous tip. So all I'll say, Barry, uh, if you have the chance to use Uber Eats, please be kind and uh, tip the delivery person. Barry, have you ever used Uber Eats? So I have not. My kids do it Son all the time. Bitch. I know. I don't get any deliveries food-wise uh, at well, all. Waste your precious gas money then, Barry. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Son of a bitch. Anyway, on that note, I will remind you that Breaking Cave Able Badger and Barry, a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Next week, take it over.